0: Series four was recorded in autumn 2019. The following content may contain strong language.
1: Welcome back to the fourth series of the Royal Court Theatre Playwrights podcast with me, Simon Stevens. David Ireland is a man whose family name makes writing short essays about his paradoxical national identity, biography and work tremendously complicated. He was born and raised in Belfast at the start of the 80s. He trained as a young man as an actor in Glasgow at the Royal Scottish Academy of Music and Drama. And he was in Glasgow with the performance of a brilliant sounding one man show. Tonight, David Ireland will lecture dance and box, preventing an anticipated return to Belfast that his working life as a playwright began to take shape. In 2010, What the Animals Say, a two-hander that explored the relationship between two Northern Irish boys who, like their author, also moved to Scotland, they to engage in the contrasting world's frustrated acting and professional football, was celebrated for the rattle of its dialogue and the heightened surrealism of its tone when it was staged at the city's Oranmore Theatre. Everything Between Us from the same year was written for Belfast's celebrated Tinderbox Theatre Company, exploring the latent, simmering psychoses underpinning the truth and reconciliation process in Northern Ireland. Summertime, an exploration of the psychosis of homophobia in contemporary Northern Ireland was also staged by Tinderbox. He was made the writer-in-residence at the Lyric Belfast. His first play for the Lyric, Can't Forget About You, from 2013, explored the fallout in a young man's family when he falls in love with a woman 20 years his senior. It was his 2016 play, Cypress Avenue, directed by Royal Court Artistic Director Vicky Featherstone in a co-production between the court and Dublin's Abbey Theatre that propelled Ireland to international attention. It crystallised those themes that Ireland had been returning to. It excavated the psychosis of religious extremism, not as an ideological flaw, but as a genuine type of madness, and how that psychosis skews a Belfast family beautifully played by Stephen Ray, it moved from the theatre upstairs to the theatre downstairs before being restaged for a controversial run at the Public Theatre in New York. It won the Best Play at the Irish Times Theatre Awards in 2017 and the James Tate Black Award. Throughout this time he's continued to act, starring in DC Jackson's killed Johnny Denning, as well as taking part in episode one of The Derry Girls. He updated Lorca's blood wedding at the Dundee Rep, 2018's Ulster American, winner of the Carol Campbell Best of Edinburgh Award, plays out the unsettling provocations of an Oscar-winning Hollywood actor, taking a lead role in a West End play, only to explode a series of moral hand grenades in the face of the play's English director and Irish writer. It is one of those rare things, a compelling play about playwriting, Like peak David Mamet, a writer who Ireland sometimes reminds me of, here he uses the ethics and processes of making theatre to consider the ethics and processes of making culture. The Royal Court's relationship to Irish playwriting from both sides of the border is rich and fundamental to the theatre's history. From Samuel Beckett to Conor McPherson and Marina Carr, the dramas produced on that landmass have captivated the imaginations of this institution. The question of whether or not people born in Ulster think of themselves or can be thought of as Irish at all runs like a thread throughout David Ireland's work and is a question he's returned to Mullen himself. It seems a paradox befitting of the skewered identity politics and political discourses of our age that with his sense of the psychosis of ideology and the madness of family, rattling dialogue and constant undertone of the deranged Ireland might at one and the same time be the most striking example of Irish playwriting at this theatre in the last ten years and not, in fact, Irish at all. David Ireland, <laughs> welcome to the Royal Court. <laughs> it's, n- it's, n- it's not an easy family name to incorporate into a consideration of Irishness. Yes. yes. <laughs> it's really, really nice to have you here. Thanks the, um, for me. Yeah, for yeah, I, I gather you said earlier... That, you, that you've heard these podcasts before. Uh-huh. Which yeah. Is oh yeah, really I, yeah.
2: I, I've I've listened to them all. Yeah.
1: And and the, the the disadvantage of that is that it'll make uh, the kind of um, the structure with which I always return incredibly predictable for you. So you won't be surprised <laughs> when I ask you the first question. Yeah. <laughs> well, I feel like I've I've had the like
2: once she asked me to do this, I've had to work hard not to think about it. So <laughs> there's some spontaneity to my answer. It'd be
1: a terrible shame to then yeah. not ask you. Yeah. When was the first time you ever went to the theatre?
2: Well, every time you ask this question to somebody, and I I never imagined I would actually sit here (laughs) (laughs) being interviewed on the podcast, but I always thought, what would I say to that? Because I don't really remember Mm -hmm. the first time I've been to the theatre. So usually I have to pause the podcast when I listen to it (laughs) to think about, when was the first time I've been... And I I guess it must have been, like, school plays, and we we weren't really a theatre-going family. Like, even pantos and all that weren't something that we... Right, we ever went to, um were you I, in school plays eventually, yeah, I remember going to see school plays and Did, right, and being like I had like even from the age of what must have been like six or so, having this like deep yearning <laughs> to be on stage, like <laughs> it just made me really sad that I couldn't be up there.
1: what kind of room were the school plays in Do you just remember? like assembly halls right, yeah, so like and the kind of plays like my kids school you know they did the kind of uh, they did school plays uh it's like for like the christmas nativity or yeah. every year group had one they did one assembly themselves and they'd often do a play or was it more like rehearsed? I just, I, just, I
2: remember there was a there was some kind of play I went to see and <laughs> the the lead character said I remember this line so clearly the lead character said She'd woken up in the morning yeah. and she, she said, parents are so stupid. <laughs> they put you to bed when you're not tired and then they wake you up when you are tired. <laughs> and I, I remember being the only person laughing in the morning. I was like, ah, 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 that's brilliant. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I mean, yeah, I, a, I, like as soon as I could, yeah. I, I, I wanted to be in school plays. Like, as soon From as like as
1: possible. primary school, infant yeah, school age. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And were you in them?
2: Yeah, yeah. I now remember I did when I was eleven. I was in uh, Rumpelstiltskin, oh, and I played Pain. a character called King Hooligan. The short. <laughs> that's,
1: um, a, that's a really brilliant, like character name. It's a good name, isn't it? It's a really good title. Yeah, we should race each other to use that title. <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: and I, uh, I remember having a line in it, yeah, which was. Um, the the queen my wife the queen played by Susan Burroughs, I don't know why I remember her name um, she said uh, oh whenever I think of my wedding day I cry and I my line was something like whenever I think of our wedding day I cry too and <laughs> I cried and the audience like roaring with laughter <laughs> at this and I had like two or three lines in the trunk when people were hysterical with laughter and was that and an I intoxicating that. power oh, completely yeah like, I loved it yeah although come back see if, if if I can go back yeah I, I I have this really strong memory from when I was about three years old that I really think is the reason that I became an actor that we were on holiday in um in Butlands in Irshire and um the, I remember at one point being sent with my sisters who were much older than me up to watch this entertainment that was going on and I was sitting with all these all these kids and grown ups and my mother and father weren't there um we're sitting watching this guy, and it was uh, it was called a fat lady competition, right? So it was a competition. It was all these l- large women, you know, and and they were judging who was the fattest lady. And <laughs> um, I mean, this was like this must have been about 1979, 1980, so, you know, um, in the west coast of Scotland. And um, and and I remember at one point this guy who was like the compere, like a yellow coat or a red coat or whatever they're called said um and i'm gonna choose a boy or a girl from the audience to help me with this and i'm and i remember my heart racing going oh god i hope he doesn't choose me and he pointed at me and said i'm gonna choose that little boy right there and he dragged me up on stage and i remember being terrified and thinking you know where's my mother and father and he told me that i had to lift up this lady right and i remember walking walking towards this giant woman and she, was la- she looked really nice and she was smiling down at me and laughing. And everybody in the audience was hysterically laughing and I was really scared. And I was thinking, how am I meant to lift this woman? She's enormous. And I remember just going up to her and, and hugging her legs oh. and people falling about laughing. And then he, the Comper guy took me away from her and he put a microphone in my face and he said, now you tell me uh, what weight that woman was. And I had no idea what that question even meant. And I could see people in the audience all laughing. And I was staring at people. And he was whispering in my ear, Say one ton. Say one ton. And I wasn't saying it. And he was getting really aggressive. And he was going, say one ton. Just say it. Say one ton. One. Say one ton. And eventually I was like, I better say it. And I said, one ton. And this audience, like, was just hysterical, and it was a huge round of applause. And I was a star for the night. Like, I remember I was being brought down. Other children were coming up to our table to get my autograph and everything. And, and then we were so we were at this little holiday camp, and everywhere we went in this holiday camp, people would point at me and go, "There's the little boy that lifted the fat lady." Um, and then we got a photograph of me lifting the fat lady. Have you still got it? I think it's somewhere in my mother's house, oh, yeah. so, um, so brilliant. And I honestly, like, looking back on it, I really think that was the reason I became an actor. <laughs> <laughs>
1: did, you, um, uh, did you carry on acting throughout your school? Was it acting more than writing that propelled you through your school? Yeah, story? totally.
2: I, I remember, I mean, I, I remember we had a teacher at school mm. um, who, who was a playwright, oh, and right. a, quite a successful playwright, a right. guy called Robin Glendening. I think he's still oh. writing today, but he had most famously he had a play on called Mumbo Jumbo at the Royal Exchange yeah. in Manchester. Yeah, um, and I think it I've won seen posters for that. Yeah, I think Exchange. it won a couple of awards yeah. as well. The year it was on, and it was based on our school. The characters were all schoolboys in it.
1: Um, that was a really successful. Yeah, it, didn't that move to the National Theatre as well? I think it's, so. Yeah, it's like a big nineteen seventies kind of yeah, like one sort of, the of the first 80s, yeah. serious yeah. considerations of teenage life. And yeah, stage. yeah,
2: that's yeah. right. And he—he, um, he, I think, not long after that, he, he retired from teaching and and became a full time playwright. Right. Um, but I remember he was directing. Uh, the school play,
1: right,
2: and that was the first. And I remember when I remember when they announced that they were doing a school play because mm-hmm. it wasn't the kind of school that really did school plays. Okay, and I remember thinking, here's my chance. And I must have been about fourteen or so. And I remember like like shaking with anticipation going into his office uh, and, and into his classroom and expecting like queues out the door for people wanting yeah, to be in the school course. play. And then I went up to his desk. And he was sitting eating a sandwich and my voice was shaking. And I went, sir, I'd, I'd, I'd really like to be in the school play. And he looked, he looked up completely confused because obviously nobody had mentioned it to him. Like he'd forgotten about it. And he
1: went, oh, God, yes, the school play. And I got a pen and paper out and wrote my name down. Um, and um, and so and and presumably he gave you the job. If it, yeah, if the, yeah. The preparations were so lax. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, I think anybody
1: who put their name down got into the play. You know? Do you remember um, your greatest hits in school plays? Oh, it sounds God. like it wasn't the only one that you did, but you did them. Throughout. Yeah, yeah,
2: I did. Well, I was a bit disappointed with that because he was doing a kind of, I guess, because he came from from. You know, our kind of world that he was trying to do a serious play, right? And the play was called the Battle of Donegore Hill, and it was devised, and we had no idea what devised even meant. Like he was yeah. making us like do it all and improvise things, and we were like, "Where well, don't you have a script that you learn the words and <laughs> everything?" So it was very experimental,
1: right? Okay. And it was a
2: co-production with a a Catholic girls' school, called Saint Louise's from the Falls. You know, yeah. so it was kind of about it was a it was a and a t- he was trying to do something about sectarianism and all okay. that. And, um, but was it a boys' school? Was yeah, it? yeah. And it was it a Protestant school. boys' school. Was it? Well, it was. I mean, it wasn't meant to be a Protestant right. boys' school, but yeah. everyone there was a Protestant. Okay. Yeah. yeah, there were very few
1: Catholics. My family's uh, Protestant Belfast as well originally. Oh, really? Yeah, my mum was born in, uh, uh, born and raised, and uh, the in the road that just runs, up away from the river from where the lyric theater is right. and and my uncle listening to this will be mortified that I can't remember <laughs> the name of the road but yeah the yeah my family's my mom's family is from All belfast right. right until her generation and
2: did you ever go over there
1: not until I was in my 40s, really? which is really which I'm really embarrassed about. Yeah. It was when punk rock was on at the Belfast. Oh, yeah, of course, was that, that a lyric? Uh, on the lyric that I yeah. went for the first time. And they were yeah. brilliant, took me, to oh, nice. took me to the house where my grand was born, and took me to the house where my mum was born. Neither address can I remember. <laughs> <laughs> but he sorry, I interrupted you, but he was interrogating or trying to use the school play yeah. as a means of excavation. Whereas
2: I felt, I felt like I wanted to be and I wanted to play a part, you know, like I wanted to be. Right. You like I wanted, lift, lift I wanted to be Robert woman. De Niro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I was past
1: lifting heavy women
2: by that point. Um, I, I want. I mean, I fancied myself as like Robert De Niro. You know, I was like right. watching Taxi Driver. Was this, this was
1: secondary school, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it
2: was a grammar school. It was because mm. you had the eleven plus then in Belfast. I don't think they have yeah. it now. Yeah. Um. So I went. Like I was at a really kind of rough primary school, and from a really you know, I mean, we were like, you know. Dirt poor loyalist, you know, Mm. and and then I passed my eleven plus and got to this really fancy school. Right. Um, Right. And so that was a very strange experience because there weren't many working class kids in the school. Right. So I was one of the few. Yeah. Right. But but yeah, I seem to have. um, What was that like? It was it was it was weird because in my primary school, because I was, yeah, I mean, as a kid, I was kind of. I, I I stood out as a kid because all the other kids were, like, out, you know, rioting <laughs> and, like, fighting with each other. Yeah. and, You know, um, it used to be, like, it used to be a thing people would say, do you want to go up? Because we lived, um, you know, uh, near a peace, a peace line, a peace wall, and, right. and people would say, like, do you want to go up to the peace wall and throw stones at the Fenians? You right. Know? Right. Apologies to anybody who's offended by the no. thing that that was what we said. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, I... I... I didn't want to do that. Right. Um, partly because I was scared. Because yeah. um, I remember thinking, but if we throw stones at them, they'll chase us and they might hurt us, you know? <laughs> um, <laughs> And I remember being told by another kid one time, "Oh, they can't run, like Catholics can't run. They're not because <laughs> they were so, the idea. Of Catholic was so alien, you know? Right? Because we'd never met a cat. I'd never met a Catholic. Really? Yeah, yeah. Wow. I grown up in in yeah. the Protestant Belfast. In, in the eighties. Yeah, you could go through. You yeah. go for years and not meet a Catholic. In right. fact, that's why things like what Robin Glendinning was was doing. Yeah. Was um was important, you yeah. know. Because um, that was when I first met Catholics was through youth theatre and through drama and all that. You right. Know? Um, so yeah, I mean, it was like you. It was it was kind of believable that Catholics couldn't run. Like even at the age of <laughs> six or seven, I thought that can't be like grown men who can't run. <laughs> that that seems really weird. But I've never heard of that before. <laughs> but 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 I kind of was like, oh, I mean, I would because I was bullied an awful lot as well. So I would stay in the house and I would write. You know. And I would write poems and I would draw and things like that. And in that in that environment, in that background, you know, I think everybody assumed I was gay. You know, everybody thought, you know, there's something going on there. Right. Um, To to be to be writing and drawing. Yeah, and because I guess because I was sensitive and because I was soft and and all that, and guess because I was kind of articulate as well, that that people just thought it was very strange. And And so the first
1: thing they leapt to was he must be gay. And the no. conflict in Northern Ireland at that time was really heated. Still. Oh yeah it was, it was, yeah, it was. Yeah, was
2: yeah. It was one of the worst periods of the troubles. Yeah. Well, every period of the troubles <laughs> yeah. was the worst period. There were no the good bits. No. Was, <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. True.
2: <laughs> but the ni- The nineties was actually worse, I think, than any other period. Really. And that's when I was a teenager. Just as it was, because it. Yeah, because I think well, that was you know the, it felt to me anyway at the time the nineties was yeah. was much worse.
1: Right. Um, right.
2: Yeah, sorry, digressed there. What were we digressed. No, but it was
1: about? a really great digression. I'm interested in the role that uh, Robert Glen or uh, also Robert you Glend- talked about the the youth the youth theatres yes. that you joined. You were in youth theatre outside of school as well. Yeah, yeah. I'm interested in the kind of solace you found in culture, in storytelling, and theatre, and writing, from a time that obviously felt quite uh, daunting and unsettling.
2: Yeah, I get that's a good question. I'm not sure. I guess it was. Um, I think from the perspective of the people who ran these things, they were like thinking we've got to get these kids together to integrate and be with each other. I wasn't really interested, like I didn't feel like I had any bigotry towards Catholics by that age, by the time I was a teenager. All I was interested was was becoming an actor, you know, becoming a professional actor, so so I didn't care whether the person I was acting with was Protestant or Catholic or whatever, I just wanted, I was going to say I wanted to be rich and famous, I don't know if that was true then.
0: But I mean I guess yeah part true of me my...
2: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but... I've sort of I've, I've sort of failed a little bit about I wanted to be <laughs> a rich not and famous It's too late David. Don't yeah. worry. <laughs>
1: You're doing all right, mum. When did you first watch Taxi Driver then because I'm interested in that engaging with that type of drama. Yeah. As as an audience member, you know, because there's a real difference yeah. between
2: well, I remember um,
1: not necessarily just specifically taxi driver, but were you um, watching a lot of films like that?
2: Like very, t- I mean, I have certainly I wasn't the right age to be watching. I was r- I was right. watching really, you know, intense stuff like that from an early age. Yeah, I think my, I don't really think my mother was monitoring what I was watching.
1: You know, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um it turns out it's quite a good thing to do yeah as I don't know because you're a parent as well right yeah yeah. every time I hear stories about writers whose kind of parents didn't pay attention right. to like their bedtime or what they were watching yeah I just think maybe I'm making a terrible mistake I know, <laughs> I know. <laughs> but I don't know I don't know if I
2: yeah I mean that's that's the question isn't it because mm. you kind of you know I wouldn't mind the idea of my children being successful writers right. successful artists yeah but exactly I wouldn't want them to have to go through the kind of pain that
1: right creates the need to,
2: <laughs> to create art you know yeah
1: so, but you what? so you but you were watching quite kind of tri- quite yeah different.
2: I think I'm trying to think where that also I guess it was my my brother-in-law who was at the time my sister's boyfriend and is now my sister's ex-husband right, um, right. he was quite influential in that because he yeah. was nobody in my family really had you know there was never any interest in culture or art or yeah. there weren't, weren't a lot of books lying around mm-hmm. you know Maybe. music or anything no I mean they are into pop music yeah I yep. remember my, I had two older sisters so you yep. know they were into Nick Kershaw and oh, George Michael was the big they were <laughs> obsessed with George Michael yeah um, but um, yeah I, I was uh, I mean I, I think I, I'm trying to remember my, I don't know where this kind of desire to become an actor came from yeah. but but the I remember saying I wanted to go to drama school at what age? Like fifteen. Right. It was quite 15. young. Yeah, and my family were coming
1: like, out of that context. It's quite yeah. a young age. To be and there so was no kind of,
2: something. there was no. I don't know where that came from. I think maybe Kenneth Branagh. I think like I right. had this. a
1: great Northern Irish. Actor, yeah. Really? I think I was yeah.
2: sort of vague because he wasn't even that famous at that time. I think he'd yeah. done. He was in a thing called the Billy Plays on, which is his first job. Yeah. Like, coming out of Rada, and it was yeah. like, he got quite a lot of local attention. Mm. And then when I remember, I think seeing him being interviewed or something on TV, and he had like quite a posh English accent. Yeah. And he was, and I'd I'd learned something about him that he came from Belfast, but he went to, um, to drama school. Yeah. Okay. In England, and and um, and then I said to my family, and I think my stepfather, said, "Oh no, you have to. You're too late to become an actor. You have to go to like a special school when you're like eleven or 12. Right. Okay. And I think, he, I, looking back, I think he must have, like, because we watched EastEnders and things yeah. like that, he yeah. must have known about that from like the Italia Conti school or yeah, <laughs> something, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah.
1: and, and well, stage school. There's a stage kind of, school, If you're yeah. not part of that world, then yeah. the notion of a stage school is something yeah. that's quite compelling. Yeah. You don't know that you don't need to. Yeah. So
2: all my family were saying, "No, you need to go to stage school," and you right. go to that when you're like twelve, you know? Um, and but I kind of thought, "No, I don't. I don't buy that. There must yeah, be another great. way." Yeah. And then my. My sister's boyfriend at the time, who was a policeman or was training to be a policeman, said, you need to go. There's a place called RADA in London, Mm. which is the best drama school in the world. Yeah. And you need to go there. And then he started telling me about if you want to go to New York, there's a place. There's a guy called Lee Strasberg in New York.
1: <laughs> i mean it's easy to kind of like chocolate things yeah. like that but if you're not fr- if you're not kind of yeah. like steeped in that then yeah, yeah. I mean, he's completely right yeah you know uh, lee strasberg is still the strasberg school still there I yeah mean, i guess got, so yeah you know
2: so he was um so, so and then i thought well it feels a bit a bit of a leap to go to new york but yeah. i can imagine going to london yeah so i kind of got in my head then right i'm gonna to go to london and be a drama and then i found out kenneth Branagh. yeah Brana went to rada yeah and then I found out that Peter O'Toole went to RADA. Right. And I liked him as well, so yeah. I thought, right, that's the place to go. Then. And did you that apply to RADA? I did, yeah. Man,
1: <laughs> and How
2: I I got turned to the last, the third stage at RADA. Jesus. And um, funnily enough, I remember, I, I remember auditioning at RADA and like going in after doing all the school plays and being the best in the school. Yeah. And thinking, I'm gonna walk this like I'm gonna be the best thing they've ever seen. Yeah. And then we were all in a circle introducing yeah. each other. And there was this woman standing beside me, this young woman, who looked very strange. And we ought to do a little bit of acting. Mm. And she did this acting, it was just, she looked weird and it was incredible what she'd done. And I felt like for the first time ever I'd seen someone who was much better than me. And I remember very clearly it was Maxine Peake. <laughs> 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 and have she's always mess, stuck in you, my head. No, I've never met you, her yeah. since. But I remember her name, Maxine, yeah. and she had such a distinctive look and accent, yeah. and it always stayed with me. Yeah, um, this woman, Maxine, and then she got very successful very sooner. Than yeah, after coming right. out of drama school.
1: What was it like to? Was that the first? It can't be your first time, like out of Ireland to go to? Yeah, remember the first time? On yeah, I mean the
2: first uh, the first time I was ever in London was auditioning for Rada. Right,
1: and um, I, I remember I I got
2: interrogated by uh, the police when I arrived. <laughs> Um, Very brief interrogation. Right. Um, And then I I remember there was a car following me around as well. Um, Wow. (laughs) Because I was... I think I was suspected of being attacked because it was the time of... There was a lot of bombings in London, you know? that's right, yeah. Um, Yeah. And I remember, yeah... uh, um, I remember getting the wrong train as well Mm. Uh, because I'd never... I mean, I'd never been on a train before. They didn't really have trains in Belfast that you'd you'd get on. Yeah. So um, I remember getting... um, arriving in London and I'd learned that I had to go to London Liverpool Street I think it was Yeah. and I got on a train to Liverpool I think oh, and no. I was like oh, no. oh this must be oh. this must be to Liverpool because I think I'd arrived in central London and then I didn't know how to find Liverpool Street and then oh i was like oh God. right this that, i saw a train to liverpool and says right that must be like liverpool street must be near liverpool that sounds so idiotic
1: no it doesn't go back does. on it
2: <laughs> and then i got on the train and the guy like after one stop the the guy i had a ticket for liverpool street and the conductor said to me what, what are you doing on this train this train's going to liverpool
1: he get off. So that would have been like Milton Keynes or something. <laughs> probably,
2: out yeah. Bloody hell.
1: But you got there eventually. I got there you got eventually. There on time and yeah. you, you, but you didn't go to Rada. No, I didn't. It's through three rounds is pretty good. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they probably made a mint out of you, didn't they? At the yeah, <laughs> <laughs> probably. I remember doing as my auditions,
2: I chose as my pieces um, Hamlet Great. and uh, Jesus from Son of Man by Dennis Potter. Cool. And I remember they laughed. That's quite ambitious. They laughed at <laughs> yeah. me doing Hamlet. Hamlet and Jesus. And Jesus. That's really good. And I didn't understand why they found
1: that funny. <laughs> <laughs> why did you apply eventually to Glasgow or was it just in the Well,
2: ra- it was it was kind of my safety net. Like mm. I'd always dreamed of my dream was to go to a drama school in London. Yeah. And and Glasgow was my safety net because yeah. it was a it was a degree course. Right. So um, right, I could get council funding to go. Right, great. Whereas right. the other drama schools, I applied for Rad and and Guildhall yeah. and all the big London ones, but yeah. but you had to pay for it yourself, really. Yeah. So even I got into Lambda, mm-hmm. uh, but I couldn't afford to go. Um, so I I sort of kept Glasgow as my fault, I remember hearing people could get famous um, actors to like pay for their fees, so that was my plan. Right. And it almost I got I got um, four hundred pounds from Kenneth Branagh.
1: <laughs> have you met him some never you've got to write a play for Kenneth Branagh and Maxine Peake yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, that sounds good actually. I'd like to see yeah, those two again. good idea yeah <laughs> um, and uh,
2: yeah and, and Timothy West as well wrote me a, a really right. nice letter and, yeah. and offered to pay as much as he could of my drama school fees oh. but by that point he I'd already him. accepted a place at.
1: what was it like moving to Glasgow
2: um well it's, I mean you see the thing is I live in Glasgow now. Yeah. So it's hard to
1: distinguish between
2: Well it's no I was about to say it's hard to talk about this without offending Glaswegians. Oh, right.
1: Who <laughs> okay. are you know
2: can be sensitive. So
1: what think. year was that? Can I just clarify for my head? What? The you year know? I went to got Gl- 96. 90 yeah, 96, okay. 90s, yeah Come on. 96. I was just leaving Edinburgh at the time so oh. yeah yeah yeah. Um
2: yeah it was uh I didn't. I was really against the idea. Mm. You know, I I really I always wanted to live in London yeah. and study in London, and I yeah. always find the idea of London romantic. Yeah. Whereas Glasgow didn't feel that different from Belfast. Right. And because I'd been to Glasgow before as a kid, you know, like it was a place you'd go to. Right. For holidays, like <laughs> yeah. Butlands and Ayrshire. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So it didn't feel very exotic or exciting. Okay. But it was the time like *Train Spotting* was out and *Braveheart* was about to come out, so it was kind of a time in Scotland yeah. was
1: becoming quite it was cool. Of, yeah, it was just been the city of culture, like '93 yeah, yeah. or something. Yeah, so there's a lot of cultural right. energy in the place.
2: Yeah, so it was a good time to be there. Yeah. But I, I just was really kind of, I was really pissed off in general.
1: And had your childhood, uh, the way in which you kind of like found a solace or a kind of sanctity in writing and art mm. in childhood, that carried on right through your adolescence and you were still writing when you went to Glasgow. Were you writing were you No, I think once I'd found acting I stopped
2: writing completely, okay. you know. So I, I wrote you... a little bit. I had a God, I had a poem in the school magazine. Yeah. It's just coming back to me. That was really, <laughs> really dark and really intense. It was basically about killing my parents. That right, was the, right. the the poem was that's about probably quite a good thing to write a poem about <laughs> then actually doing it. <laughs> true, I mean that's that's true. Um and uh, yeah, it was, so I did. I did. And I, interestingly, another teacher was um, my, my English teacher was a guy called Frank Ormsby. okay. Who was who was and is um, a, a famous poet, you know. Um, God, you were taught by writers, man. Yeah,
1: yeah. And I
2: remember, I remember Frank had like as a kid, like when I was about twelve. Mm-hmm. Frank Gormsby had all these like posters in his room of Robin Glen plays. You know, and I remember finding that really weird—the idea that people of people writing plays. Ah. You know, like like I understood that like Shakespeare was a playwright. Right. But I remember looking at these posters, thinking, "But why would you need modern plays when you have films and TV? Like, why would people go and go and watch a play?" It's a question I still
1: get asked all the time.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it is a good question, (laughs) Um, but I I find it really intriguing. Mm. You know um
1: and but how when you when you got to start your training yeah at the Royal Academy in Glasgow when did you start writing again what i really want to know oh. is tell me about the 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 david island lectures dancers well show, i i didn't not that's maybe the best title for it well i didn't write
2: that oh yeah <laughs> um, that was a guy called Sandy Grierson wrote that, who's an actor. Yeah, I know yeah, Sandy, yeah, Sandy Yeah, he's yeah. a beautiful yeah, actor. actor. Yeah, terrific actor. So really. he wrote that. Yeah. I don't know if he ever intended to perform that himself, but I think well, eventually... Would call it tonight Sandy Grierson? It's, the idea was that it would always the, the name would always change with whatever actor Brilliant. plays it. Brilliant. So there's still um, a
1: chance that I might get to do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. Um, he, um, th- there was, it was based on a guy called Arthur Craven, who was a, a sort of, if I recall correctly, a sort of... Nineteenth-century performance artist okay. in Paris, wow. and he performed these shows in Paris called "Tonight, Arthur Craven, Mould, Lecture, Dance, and Box," in box. which he did lecture, dance, and box. Yeah, that's. Um, so and so the idea was that that the actor would continue,
1: whoever was playing it would, would continue. Mm-hmm. With it. And did you lecture, dance, and box in the show? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what did you lecture about? What dance did you do, and who I did you think, box? I, I can't
2: really remember. I lectured, I. I I lectured about my life, but it wasn't my life. It was about Arthur Craven. Okay. But I think it was the idea was the character of David Iron was claiming to be a distant relation of Arthur Craven. But Arthur Craven himself claimed to be a distant relation of Oscar Wilde. So it was okay. all all that. Great. Dance, yeah. There was I think I got a member of the audience up to dance. You teach the audience to dance at one point. Oh, that's and nice. That was a point when I was I would bring an audience member out to box with. You know. Because there's a more clip aggr-
1: slightly more aggressive. Than, than dancing well, with... I
2: think the idea was that boxing should be like dancing; it was okay, all cool, the same cool. kind of thing, you know. And there's a there's a YouTube clip of Arthur Craven boxing, and so oh, we played wow. the YouTube clip, and then the audience member and the actor recreated uh, imitate, the YouTube recreate clip. Yeah. And it
1: was there that you is this right that that's where you met your uh, your your wife? Yes. Now well, this
2: is how. I, so I'd moved to Belfast. Yeah, I'd been in Glasgow. Actually, maybe we better rewind. I could.
1: Yeah. Because this chronology, I want yes, to get right yeah, in my yeah. head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So
2: I'd been. So I'd went to drama. I'd come into drama school. Yeah. Um, I'd done my first. It's quite a lot to talk about <laughs> 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 if we're talking about my whole. No, it's good. It's just... Um, and how? Well, I guess the question is how the how I started writing. Again, um, I, I I sort of stopped. Um, So I'd done a couple of jobs as an actor. My first job was in King Lear at the Royal Exchange um, with Tom Courtney as King Lear. Bloody Uh, hell. I was playing the King of France. So my first ever professional scene was opposite Tom Courtney. And I was understudying David Tennant as well. And Ashley Jensen was in that production as well. And Adam James. It was um, a terrific cast. And I was... um, I was a bit lost. Yeah. You know, I was... I was out of my depth and very insecure mm. around all these people, and I was drinking very heavily. Right. Um, and I stopped drinking during that job and haven't had a drink since. That was like twenty well, years ago.
1: Well done, man. But
2: I didn't. One morning, I didn't turn up to rehearsals, right. which I kind of thought was normal. I was too hungover. Right, right. And all these like you know professional actors said to me, "No, no, <laughs> you can't, you can't do that. All right, you just can't do that." Yeah. It's not and like I was working like, at McDonald's. Yeah, well, I was like, I didn't have, I was playing a spear carrier in a scene. Right. So I was like, why do I need to even be here, yeah. you know? <laughs> um, and, and so I, I kind of quickly stopped drinking after that. And then I stopped working. Like I didn't really get any work. And I moved to London. I was living in Waltham mm. which I understand is quite cool now, but it wasn't it was cool It's quite then. hipster now yeah. Yeah. now, yeah. It definitely wasn't cool then. Yeah. I was miserable and, and I was out of work and I didn't have an agent. And I was I was living with going mm. out with a, a, a woman who's now a, a very successful casting director, but right. at the time was a casting assistant. Mm. And she, so I was going to all these like big opening nights. Right. And, and I was writing then, I was r- trying to write a one-man show that I right. was going to put on yeah. about a serial killer. <laughs> and um, and uh, I, I, because I was going to all these big opening nights at, like The Hamster and all this... Yeah. And people, I would be be introduced to people and say I was an actor, and they were like, "Well, what are you doing at the minute?" And I was like, "Nothing." Yeah. And then eventually, I thought, "I'll tell people I'm writing a one-man show about a serial killer." Great. Good and then answer. eventually, a casting director said to me, "Don't tell people you're writing because it sounds like you're doing nothing." <laughs> <laughs> so it was it was miserable. Um. And then I got a I got. I was in a play called Decky Does a Bronco, a dug by Douglas Maxwell, which was yeah. a huge Edinburgh Fringe. Yeah. Hit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a Co-production with the Almeida as well. Yeah. Yeah. Great play. Yeah, and really so I great writer Douglas. Yeah, Maxwell. terrific. Really um, and uh, yeah, I've been in like four or five Douglas Maxwell. Plays. Right. Great. So they, after that, because that was such a success, particularly in Scotland, I got lots of work in Scotland. So I Brilliant. moved back to Scotland. Yeah. Broke up with Julie. Harkin. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> weird. Weird how I was coy about mentioning her name, and now i mentioned yeah, mentioned I think now. she's all right. Yeah, it's fine. No, she ca- actually she cast me recently in something. Oh, great. Yeah. Um, And, uh, but then, so there came a period where I was working a lot and then I stopped working. And then I was doing a show at Dundee Rep where I was working a lot mm. with John Tiffany. Um, right. And it was a Douglas Maxwell play, again, funnily enough, called If Destroyed True. And it was a co production with Payne's Plough. Yeah. And Vicky was kind of milling about. She was like, you know, the, one of the producers of it. So she'd occasionally yeah. come into rehearsals and all that. But I didn't really know her. Um, and uh, I, I was really, really depressed and really unhappy. Like it was just one of the lowest points of my life.
1: Wow.
2: Um, and I was living with a friend of mine, a brilliant actress called Irene McDougall. And she tells me, you now, I didn't know at the time, but she was worried every day that she would like find oh, me geez. dead because I will kill myself. Which I never, it was never on my mind, but she was, she'd seen something, you know. And I was just I don't know, I was very lonely. I hadn't been in a relationship for a long time. And yep. I was I was thinking about writing. I was like writing little bits and pieces. Yeah. Like I'd write five or ten pages or something and then uh yeah. and then a job would come along. And I was about I must have been about twenty nine or thirty at this time. Yeah. And um, one day I used to cry a lot in rehearsals. Right? <laughs> I would like I would just break down in tears and I fucking hated John Tiffany so much you know like <laughs> sorry John if you're listening because um, I really love him now like he, he every time I yeah. see him now he brightens he brightens me up yeah um, but I really I really hated him at the time and I think yeah. I really hated him because he was really happy right you know and right. he was really enjoying his job right and I, I didn't enjoy anything about acting or theatre yeah. And I used to think, like, what? why is he enjoying this? This is meant to be pain. This is meant to be intense.
1: Yeah.
2: And, yeah. So so I was miserable every day going into rehearsal. And then he he had a dance in the show, and I'm a terrible dancer. And I felt really stupid doing this dance. And um, and so I just got more and more depressed, and I almost walked out of the show. And, um, and one morning, Douglas Maxwell came in, um, and I was in the middle of rehearsing a scene... And I just couldn't get it. Like, I was really struggling. And John was getting very frustrated with me because I kept putting blocks up. Yeah. And um, and then Douglas walked in wearing a coat and a, holding a cup of coffee, take-away coffee. And I remember, like, it was like a fucking lightning bolt. It was like a moment of enlightenment or something. That I looked at him and I was like, that's what I need to be. I need to be a writer. I, I need to be the guy coming in at like half eleven with a takeaway coffee. <laughs>
1: it's it's mm. so much the better. Life. Yeah,
2: it's such a better life. <laughs> it's like I can't I can't be in a room at ten o'clock yeah. rehearsing a scene when I have no fucking talent and I have nothing to say.
1: And is this was this how was this uh the start of the play for Oran Moore? Or no, it? no, no. That was um oh was it? Actually, yeah, it was.
2: It was what the animals say. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah. was the start of that. Yeah. Um because I I'd yeah I, I and then I, I did a couple more acting jobs where I got more and more depressed but I was I find like this great liberation with writing you know like it, you're happier, was, happier writing oh much acting. much happier yeah. yeah I was always miserable as an actor and I thought that was normal I thought that was
1: how you were meant to feel where did you write when you did you write in your in your in the place I, I, where you live I wrote in yeah I wrote in my little bed set <laughs> and what did you write on uh, I wrote on a,
2: I didn't have a computer or right. a laptop or anything I wrote with a barrow and a a notepad,
1: and tell tell us about uh, Moore as well, because people don't. It's a yeah, really I guess it's like it's a huge. It's thing. a great institution. Well, in it was a guy hours. called
2: Dave McLennan used to run it at that time. Who's, yeah. who's dead now, but he was like a Scottish theatre legend, you know. and Yeah, it was one of the people who ran Seven Eighty Four.
1: Yeah, right. Um, Seven Eighty Four, massive. Yeah, Im- important political theatre company from the seventies and eighties. Totally, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, and Wildcat as well as his other company. Right, great. Um, and he. He would just basically like he started off. I remember more starting and being really, um, you know, contemptuous of it, because I thought, well, this is what what well, this is all gonna be fucking, you know, little old ladies sitting having a pie. The idea was, was yeah, play a play a pint, a play a pint, play a pint. It yeah. was like, well, this is gonna be like the most kind of mundane, yeah, you know, bland work. Yeah, um, knowing nothing about it, I went to see a play there, one of the early plays there, which was brilliant, but I couldn't admit it was brilliant. Mm. Um, and it turned out it was by a guy called Marco Rowe who at that time was not a very well known writer you know and, and not yeah. as massive yeah. um, and it uh, yeah I mean it, it, they, it, Dave kind of just as long as he liked the play he put it on great. you know and that was it great um, and he gave opportunities to so many writers, like yeah. he produced so much work. Yeah. Like so many Scottish based playwrights have had their first plays on. And that own. whole
1: gesture of just you, you go, you have a pie, you have a pint, you watch a play, the yeah. democratizing gesture of that is totally. really compelling. Yeah, yeah. And his taste is clearly really good. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What was the experience of having the play on there?
2: oh i mean i mean it was <laughs>
1: fucking hell it was um was it weird to be sitting on the other side of the audition room or the other yeah side I, the i'd
2: written no. the part for myself it was about an actor yeah. and a football. you never
1: played it though right no. no no
2: i've never been in any of my own plays mm. um but I, I i yeah it was it was fun i enjoyed it yep. i enjoyed being on the other side
1: how were um, how were you as an
2: audience member do, do you mean in terms of like oh, just, in, in the rehearsal room? I imagine
1: if I imagine if you were an actor and then you're watching your play being performed, but you can't do anything. That doesn't bother me, does it not? You know, because he- I know the actor most of the time is doing a better job than I will. Right, great, um, great. Yeah, I'm a I, terrible audience member when a plays in preview.
2: I'm re- I'm yeah. I mean, I'm always a bad audience member when stuff, but that's I blame me rather than yeah. The, the no, actors. for sure, yeah, yeah. Um, I I think. Um, yeah, I, I, I was just relieved to not have to act anymore, right. and and I like I get I, I still get terrible performance anxiety, you know. Like but you're you know, acting really. Right? I, I don't I don't act at all anymore. I stopped you're completely. Completely retired. Completely. Yeah, oh, yeah. Man. Well,
1: I'm still toyed with the idea going back to it, but okay. yeah, I've more or less stopped. But is the anxiety behind writing and acting is it a different type of anxiety? Do you get anxious writing at all? You know, not, not really. Brilliant.
2: A li- like a little bit, but not, it always seems much more manageable. Yeah. Like I get nervous on an opening night, like I imagine we all do, but it's nothing like the nerves. I mean, like I was at a wedding recently mm. and my wife and some of her friends had, had rehearsed a little sketch to do, mm-hmm. like a mm-hmm. little dance, mm-hmm. and, um, and they were all excited about it. And I was getting really anxious for them, like when they were about to do it. I was
1: like, oh god! What <laughs> and if your wife's fucking- a choreographer, she works yeah, in the yeah. theatre as well, yeah? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. So she has no nerves. No, well,
2: like, if she does, she seems to be better at handling them than I do. Right. Um, but they were just enjoying themselves, whereas I was, like, watching them going, oh, God, what if this... Because I had the filming as well. My job was to film it, and I was like, oh, what if I fuck up the filming and all. And I don't get any of that kind of anxiety. With, writing? Like, even if things go badly with the play, part of me just kind of finds it funny. Yeah. Like, if an actor dries or anything, I just kind of... <laughs> or, if, or if I've written, a, like, a really offensive joke and nobody laughs, I kind of find that funny. <laughs> Like, I kind of, you know, in. Um, I kind of get a bit of a spoiler alert here about Cypress Avenue, but mm. there's an act of, several acts of extreme violence in the play, but there's yeah. one particularly extremely violent act. Yeah. And um, it's not that I do it for titillation or anything like yeah. that, but there is something like when I, particularly the last couple of times watching Cypress Avenue, when it comes to the extreme violence, I find myself wanting to hysterically laugh. Yeah. Because because people are shocked, I think and because people react, gasp and everything. I'm kind of going. This is this isn't real. I wrote this down <laughs> in my fucking living room. You know? <laughs> you and then you? I went and made myself a tin of tomato soup. You know, it's like so <laughs> fucking bland. My
1: when, my wife often says that when uh, she hears me writing, if I'm writing at home, and she hears me laughing yeah. while I'm writing, yeah. she knows I'm writing something really brutal. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) The process of of writing makes me laugh out loud.
2: Yeah, yeah, it does that to me as well. And and my wife also says she can hear me talking, which I'm not aware of doing it, but she can hear (laughs) me... You talk out the dialogue when you're writing it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's great. (laughs) But I don't have any... In my head, I don't do that.
1: Yeah. Do you... um, So you... But you... You had the show at Armo, mm-hmm. but
2: then went back to Belfast. Actually, can I, I could tell you yes, a story about that. Can. The, yeah, the, I what, love what, those stories. What the Animals Say, yeah. which was the first play. I mean, it was very autobiographical, you know?
1: Yeah. Um, because I'd yeah, moved. Yeah, because the actor in the football, and, yeah.
2: Well, I'd, I'd moved back to Belfast, and it was, it was about an out of work actor.
1: Okay.
2: And um, it was based on a real thing that was. Um, that I'd moved back I'd, it was li- I was 30 and I was living at my mother's house this was after working with John Tiffany
1: okay.
2: and I wasn't getting any work in Glasgow Yeah, so I moved back to my mother's in Ballybeen mm. and at the time and Ballybean you got to understand like nothing ever happens in Ballybeen you know it's a council estate in the middle of nowhere mm. and unbeknownst to me when I arrived they were making a big movie with Liam Neeson and James Nesbitt in it right and um, everybody who knew me from when I was a kid assumed I was there to be in the movie. Um, so I would, like, get on the bus to, like, go and sign on. Um, and people would say to me, oh, you, you're doing that Liam Neeson movie? <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm I'm going to sign on. <laughs> <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> and I remember, like, one particular day, I was really, really down. And... Um, I remember the bus went past where the, the trailers all were. Yeah. And I knew there was an actor in it that I knew, a guy called Richard Orr, He's a very lovely, yeah. uh, talented actor. And I thought, I could. what if I turned up in Richard Orr's trailer with, like, a balaclava on and told him I was, like, from the local UVF and that he had to leave the film? And then maybe if he leaves... <sighs> I could because I would be the one the uh, first person to know about it, so I could like make myself available to be in it. And while I was thinking that, I was going, "Oh well, that's fucking crazy! What is going on? With you that you're thinking that." <laughs> and then that became the play. Really, that was right. what the play was about right. about right. a footballer who gets a massive uh, a part in a big Mel Gibson movie, yeah. making in Belfast. And this actor who went to school with him threatens to kill him, you know, to get him off the movie. Um, that's so
1: really, that's where. That's, <laughs> It's a really lovely thing to kind of use the kind of oddities and darkness of the crevices of our imagination to make stories out of.
2: Yeah, that's what I do. I,
1: think. I could talk to you for hours, but we, we, we oh literally God, we'd literally running out here of for hours. Oh. I really want to, and it would be crazy to not talk in some detail about Cypress Avenue. Your okay. Kind of raw court play. Yeah. But you'd gone back to Belfast, you had the work with Tinderbox and you worked with the lyric. Yeah. But this stage you'd you'd kind of really happy with your sense of self as a writer.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was going well, but then I had a run of really bad shows, you know, really bad right. productions. Right. I had, like, three three things on in a row. Because okay. I'd kind of felt like, oh, people like my writing and it seems to be happening. Yeah. And then there was three productions that went really badly in a right. row, and I thought, oh, God,
1: in it's gone.
2: No, this was... One was in Glasgow, mm-hmm. or a play called Most Favoured, yeah. And then the other one—I mean, we could talk for an hour about this. Yeah, a play called I Promise You Sex and Violence that was on at the Edinburgh Fringe, which got one-star reviews across the board, um, and it was the first time I'd ever been reviewed by like London papers and all this sort of thing. Mm. So that was meant to be my big break, um, and it was—it was a disaster, you know. And so then I thought. And then Blood Wedding, with yeah. Dundee Rep and Grey Eye, which, yeah. which didn't go brilliantly either. At least didn't go as I'd hoped it would go, and, and I wasn't happy with the work I'd done on it. Right. So I can, I kind of felt, right, it's over. Like, the acting career's over, the writing career's over. Mm. Um, I'll do something else. But I still had, like, I knew... I, I was convinced Vicky was going to back out of doing Cypress Avenue after the reaction to, I promise you, sex and violence.
1: How, how did Cypress Avenue start as...
2: It was at the abbey. It was a, yeah. a, a, um, a commission from the abbey. Yeah, um, and
1: then Vicky. Uh, well, so they brought her on board as direct. Yeah, I think
2: I don't know if she'd contacted them or they'd contacted her. But she, me, and her had met. I'd never, even though I'd worked with Pinsplo, I'd never really met Vicky before. Okay. Because I hated John every time. Every time I saw Vicky, like any time I passed Vicky, I had this kind of attitude. Oh, fuck her, you know. Sorry, Vicky. <laughs> She probably doesn't know that, but I kind of had an attitude towards mm. everybody at Pain's Play then. Um, right. and, uh, and so I kind of thought, she's she's not going to like me. And then I met her because I was commissioned by National Theatre Scotland. Right, great. So I had a meeting with her and she'd asked me what I was doing and yeah. I told her about Cypress Avenue. And I remember like her eyes lit up when I told her the basic premise of the play. Where
1: did the premise come from? Oh God, I don't know. Um... I'm, I've read somewhere The premise of of, of, of the Avenue. Being, just the starting point of what. The, yeah, it's crazy. How, how isn't you it? start your plays? Do you, do well, they, this was
2: this was I was uh, partly because I was reading a biography of Pinter, right, by Michael Billington. Yeah, and I I, I I'd read about the caretaker that that a Pinter said he always starts with an image. Yeah, and I'd read about about the caretaker and the image he started with that, and I sort of had this strong image for Cypress Avenue of a baby who looked like Jerry Adams. Right. And it just felt funny and compelling <laughs> and weird. Yeah. And true. Yeah. So it felt like right there's a play in there somewhere. Yeah. So I started writing it and pretty much as it was the first draft
1: was pretty much what it ended up being, you know. Was it a, do you, do you write did you are you a planner or do you do you discover the plays as you're writing them? At at the time and it's still pretty much the same. Yeah. I
2: discover as I'm writing, I just right. write, which usually means you end up with a very messy first draft, and you end up. I don't know. I always end up feeling distressed and upset when I finish, because it's it's because it's not what you thought it was going to be. How
1: long did it take you to write that first draft?
2: That kind of <laughs> really quick, like three weeks, right? If that. It re- wrote living really it, living in, I was living uh, I was living in Glasgow, but right. I was I just got married, right. Um, I think that was the first thing I wrote after I got married. <laughs> <laughs> but Jen that, Jen didn't? my wife had said let's you know let's start a family. Yeah. And I was like it's a bit soon. <laughs> yeah. So it was my anxieties about becoming a father. Yeah. And specifically my anxieties about becoming like my father, you know. Yeah. Of course. Um, yeah. that I was that I was writing about really.
1: Mm. Yeah. The um, when was the first time you heard the play? Did Vicky do a reading of it? Did she no, do I don't here? think there was any readings. There so was such just a, a commitment big... to produce from the first draft.
2: Yeah, I think it was pretty much yeah from the second draft maybe. Mm. Um, I mean, she loved it right from the off. You know, she thought it was really special, mm. um, and she really believed in it in a way that I didn't. Um, and and I was very keen to have Stephen Ray, even though I didn't know him. Yeah. But by the time it was such a long, torturous process getting it produced because the play was all there, but there was legal problems. They were worried about Jerry Adams. The Abbey were worried about Jerry Adams right. So we had to like go through a team of lawyers.
1: And it re- rehearsed in Dublin. Yeah. Open in Dublin and yeah. came here after. Yeah. Was it a very different production when it? Did it feel a different production the two cities?
2: Um. Sort not really. Yeah. Yeah, it did actually because. The first preview in Dublin didn't go well. Right. And I thought... I was, like, really... Watching it really sort of... Philosophically. Going, yeah. oh, this is this is yet another disaster. <laughs> this is good. I was, like... I was really kind of stoic about it. I thought, this is fine. I now know... i got to play, you know... i got to play on Directed by Vicky Featherstone, starring Stephen Ray. And even that's bad. Like, The Abbey and the Royal Court 2, of the best, biggest theatre in the world... And even this is shit. So maybe I shouldn't do this for a living. And I was quite happy. I was like a relieved. Um, there's a bit, there's a bit in, in Woody Allen's Bullets Over Broadway.
1: Right.
2: At the end of it. Because you know it's about a playwright, yeah. John Cusack. Yeah. And he says something about He goes the back to his uh, girlfriend or his wife and he says, uh, I've realised two things. One, I love you. And two, I'm not a great playwright. Right. and I always I felt like that was like this great liberation of going oh I'm not a great playwright I don't have to be a great playwright I can just get on with my life now
1: so so did the play's success massively frustrate you no no I was <laughs> <laughs> I was yeah, really I was pleased, pleased. <laughs> <laughs> well, part, I don't know
2: maybe maybe my life would have been when better when did you
1: realise it was going to cause the stir that it did I mean I,
2: well I was re- I'm. Re- I mean I'm always surprised when my plays cause a stir
1: yeah
2: I'm sort of less surprised now as I get older but right at the time, like, from my first play, I thought, this is fucking weird mm. that um, that people are offended by this, you know? Mm. Um, I don't understand. At the times, I thought, you know, like, it's not like I've invented violence on stage, you know? It's not yeah. like like the Greeks have done this. You yeah. know, there's lots of it in Shakespeare, yeah. Sarah Cain. Like, yeah. why are people so surprised by yeah. this?
1: There was a kind of, like, ten-year period in between, say... Um, I, think, I think a lot of the work that Dominic Cook produced here was maybe less violent or less explicitly mm-hmm. violent. So it yeah. felt like a kind of return to a moment yeah. Yeah. that um, sort of made it more startling.
2: Well, it felt like in, in, in Dublin, it felt like people... I mean, it was well-received in Dublin, but yeah. there was a kind of feeling that it was, oh, it's a play about the north and it's a play about right. the troubles. And right. to play
1: about, right.
2: Whereas in in the upstairs space here, it felt um, more universal. Yeah, You know, it felt like people were reacting to it as a play about general conflict rather than specific yeah. to Northern Ireland I think that's
1: what I mean when I write in the introduction about for me there's something almost kind of existential in the violence as much as it's rooted in, yeah. in those specific troubles yeah. it's about the kind of psychosis of that sectarian ideology Yeah, m- as much as it's about the sectarian ideology yeah, the, yeah um, totally um, how was it when you uh, then took it to New York
2: uh, well, um,
1: <laughs> I had, can I really
2: talk about this? I, 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 I had this experience, right, um, with this, the night before um, opening night. Well, first of all, I learned, you'll know this, right? But, but opening night in New York is different from opening night. Because <laughs> yeah. they, you don't have an opening night. And then the reviews come out, you know, all the reviews yeah. come out on the opening night. On the
1: opening night, night. Yeah. And
2: everything's about the New York Times and Ben Brantley.
1: Normally out by the time the play's finished. Yeah,
2: which is all very it's weird. weird. It's
1: just weird, isn't it?
2: And I only found this out the night before. Right. Because I'd said to Jen, my wife, don't, um, you know, I'm just going to enjoy myself. Um, I'm just going to go out there and, and, and treat it like a holiday. Because yeah. I'm not, I don't really like the play. And I don't think. Do anyone, you not? No. I have a f- funny relationship with that play. I, um, yeah, I, I mean, I guess I don't like most of my plays, but I especially don't like that play. Right. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm pleased with the royalties and all that, but, um, <laughs> and, the, and the fact that people like it, but yeah, but, uh, yeah I don't know. But then, yeah, are we always the best judges of our own work though? Do you know. have a favorite play of your own? I really like Ulster American. Yeah, it's I'm really pleased with Ulster yeah. American, because it's pretty much what
1: I set out to write tell us tell us a story about the the opening night in new york and then talk a little yeah, bit yeah so the
2: story no it was ju- well so basically the night before opening night this uh woman f- i met f- who was in, from new york and worked at the public
1: yeah.
2: basically said to me i said to her i've just learned about opening night this is terrible i mean mm-hmm. this is this has got you know this could be a massive public humiliation and um she said, uh, listen, you don't have anything to worry about. This is the best play that's been on this theatre for years. Mm-hmm. She says, you've g- got to get prepared for tomorrow because by tomorrow night... I had no idea who this woman was, right? I still don't know who she was, but she said, <laughs> by tomorrow night, yeah. you're going to be as big as Conor McPherson, you're going to be as big as Martin McDonough, Hollywood's going to be calling, so you better get yourself prepared. And I was like, nah. But then I went to bed that night, and I was like, oh, what if she's right? <laughs> there's, su- there's such that poison of a addiction to success in yeah, the city. Yeah, and then and then and then the play did go on, and it was yeah. it was the reception to it. So some you know it, it varied really. It was very mixed. You know, some yeah. people loved it. Yeah. A lot of people hated it. It was kind of it got a very sort of mediocre review from Ben Brantley, um, which was kind of like, yeah, it's good, but it's not quite as good as Martin McDonagh or Conor McPherson. <laughs> And everybody else around me, like my agent and Jen, and all, were going, "No, that's okay. That's that's
1: a nice review." And yeah. I was like, "No, it's not. God damn, such a weird culture." Yeah. But, um. Ultra. Where did ultra American come from? Well,
2: it was kind of a, a response to the response to Cyprus yeah, Avenue. You, you know, um, that it was kind of like I mean, you mentioned Mamet there, and and. Um, Am I right in thinking, you compared me to Mamet? Am I, did I imagine that, did I, I dream that? I think there's a
1: lot of Mamet in what you're doing.
2: You see, I, I mean, he he was my hero as a teenager, Yeah. You know?
1: um, and not all of his stuff's great, but I think of Speed the Plough when I think of All Street America. That's funny,
2: nobody ever seems to see that, but I was basically trying to rewrite Speed the Plough, yeah. really, you know, like because um, I loved that play when I first read yeah. it when I was doing that. Um, he, so yeah, it was about, it was kind of about, about the desire for success and the desire for fame. Yeah. Um, and the, not even the success and fame on a material level, but also on a kind of spiritual level, you know, of wanting yeah. to be acknowledged as a great playwright, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and what a sort of corrupting thing that is. Um, yeah. So it was on all my mixed feelings about it. I kind of felt, I mean, I started writing Ulster American round about the time of that preview, or no, I, was I was in the middle of writing it in the preview of Cypress Avenue. Were you writing in New York? No, no, in in the preview in in Dublin. Right, 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 right. So it's a play i have been trying to write for For years. years, And then I kind of, I felt like Cypress Avenue was going to be a massive failure. So I thought, Mm. right, this is going to be the last play I ever write, Ulster American. So I'm going to just pour everything into it, like everything I feel about, everything. Mm. Um, And then that'll be like my last play. Um, And it was kind of like a fantasy of... Because this, this playwright in the play gets compared to Pinter and Chekhov yeah. and so on. Yeah. And I thought, well, nobody's ever going to compare me to those guys, but at least I can write this in the play. Huh. Um, so <laughs>
1: <laughs> so yeah. it was written in a sort of uh, a heated passion. You yeah. know? And that heat, I think, is legible within it. Let's finish with some questions not related to the work specifically. Okay. Okay. You're a dad. You're a, you're yeah. kid. You've are got two kids, yeah? yeah? Yeah. How old are your kids now? Uh, five and three and how's being a dad affected the work um,
2: I'm not sure
1: too soon to tell I, I
2: don't know I mean I think I think it's generally affected my life wonderfully sure you know yeah. although it's
1: been I
2: mean, you can't, I mean you know it's not like it's, it's. you can't really prepare for
1: it no matter it's what it's incredibly hard work it's incredibly hard work <laughs> yeah. I hope my kids really. are listening <laughs> your fucking hard work <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and let me tell you 21 it's still hard work really? <laughs> no no I'd right. like to think no, I'd they like, make me I'd, laugh I'd, more now I'd oh, like they like make to... me laugh in different ways yeah they, they, they make me laugh a lot jokes. that's the
2: thing I like most about them <laughs> yeah. Like laughing with them and making them laugh would you like and the and idea that they could
1: one day go and see your work?
2: I never think about that I don't know I assume they'll hate it you know <laughs> um, I feel that's terrible Cyber 7 News dedicated to Ada my daughter, right, right, and um, and I asked, I asked
1: Jen, she'll see a revival of it in 20 years, She's yeah, like, starring me. <laughs> like
2: ben, and weirdly, weirdly, Elijah, my son, was the same age as the baby in the play right. on the opening night in Dublin, right. wow. Um, which was a weird, wow. yeah, coincidence, yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I don't know, I, I feel like, um, I, I mean. It, Ada talks about becoming a playwright, you know that's what she wants to be, yeah, which is it's really nice because it feels like well maybe that's like she likes you she likes me, <laughs> yeah 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 um yeah I don't know how it's, I don't know how it's changed me I think maybe I hope it's made me a nicer person and a less egotistical person.
1: and you're living in Glasgow yes do you still write at home?
2: Yeah, well now I have an office, we've moved house and I have an office for the first time In, in the life. house? Yes, yeah. and this, which is amazing, I've never had that before, I've only <laughs> ever written in coffee shops before Right And it's amazing to to like have a, yeah I mean like it feels really undignified to be 43 and writing in a coffee shop I quite know. like it actually I, I like it but not every day. The problem is I go into the coffee shops and everybody knows me and they know I'm around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> it's just embarrassing, yeah. you know. And I'm not good at like the banter or anything, yeah, you know, yeah.
1: so I can't, you know, yeah. I can't talk to people and um, um uh, what was I gonna, what have you got in your office? Apart as yet nothing. Right, it's nothing, completely empty we just room. We just moved in two weeks okay, ago. Cool. What are so you so going to have in it that you're that you're most excited well, about?
2: Well, I have to say Jen is, like Jane's an amazing sort of interior got she's got great tastes. taste, you know, and so she's got plans for how she's going to make the Great. obviously look nice, and she's got plans, she's got to get posters up of Cypress Avenue and, oh, nice. and all that. nice, nice. I should say as well, Jen is like, you know, she's an amazing dramaturg and script editor as does well. Does she read your stuff? She does, yeah. yeah, and she's got a great sort of visual imagination, so yeah. she kind of, you know, contributes. I'm writing something for... Um, Have you worked with her? No, we've never worked together. Oh, no, we did We uh did she directed me in a, I played a, she did a show at a, uh, a nursery, a nursery school. Oh, brilliant! And I was playing a little magical wizard figure. <laughs> um, where I had I think to go. you could. I think
1: you could nail that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the kids all love me. I played a character yeah. called Burnbank, and I was looking. I'd lost my magic stick, <laughs> and we were we were in the woods, and um in, in this uh, in this place in Glasgow, and we were.
1: And did you enjoy working with Jenna?
2: Uh, yeah well interestingly she had she'd never seen any of the sort of neurotic actor side to me right and on the first performance of it i got like incredible performance anxiety and on the way in the car i was crying going oh my god i can't these kids are gonna hate me (laughs) and she was like staring at me going oh my god you're crazy you know (laughs) she'd never uh, seen that side to me
1: is writing still your happiest place is writing still yeah 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 totally I think that kind yeah. of freedom and that sense of joy, however dark the work gets, is yeah. really legible in the work that you're making.
2: Yeah, I, I find a lot of joy in it, you yeah. know, no matter how dark it gets.
1: I think that's really, that's really clear. Mm. It's a real, real pleasure to meet you. Thank David you. David Allen, thank you very, very much indeed. Thanks for having me. As you'll know, because you've heard these things before, yeah, yeah. we always have a bit at the end where we get facts and questions from Anoushka
2: all oh, right. Okay. Yes,
1: and, she, and she's taken to pushing me right out of the way here. <laughs> I feel I feel nervous about this. What's yeah, this gonna... is the really nerve-wracking oh. bit. Yeah. Why? Oh. You Why? am I nervous?
0: <laughs> because of my great uh, question-asking style.
2: Yeah, I don't know because because I know you. I feel a bit like you're going to ambush me or something. Yeah, she will.
0: There's a couple of things. <laughs>
1: oh God.
0: Okay, this first question. Just yeah. try and answer with the right number. Right. Don't. You don't need to say more on that. What age did you stop believing in Father Christmas?
2: Which one? Oh, I can't remember. De- ten? Okay.
0: 11. And what age did you stop believing that Catholics could have run? <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm not sure I ever believed that.
0: I was like, <laughs>
2: maybe six. Yeah, okay. Let's try it. Let's, let's find a Catholic and have a race.
0: <laughs> and if you have told your children either of those either? two things exist, then we'll make sure they listen to this podcast after they're ten. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, next one, Kenneth Brannan wanted to give you four hundred pounds. Yes. To get to that drama school. Yes. Did you keep the money when you went to?
1: <laughs> when you went to the other one? Um. You uh, <laughs> didn't need it for.
2: No, I, I I I wrote I wrote to him and explained the situation,
1: mm. um, and he said that um, I could keep the money.
0: Oh, it's nice. and did you? He's a good
1: yes. guy. He's like, yeah. a ma- I mean, I've not met him at great length, but. Well, he was patron of Ulster Youth Theatre. Yeah, so he's famously I... a decent bloke, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think. yeah. Um,
0: Simon missed a really key question. Oh, which is, ju- so just very quickly, because um, we know that you used to write on notebooks back in the day. Yeah. yeah. But when, like, now, how do you write? Do you write on your laptop? Oh, laptop. Oh, yeah. You're always yeah. on the laptop. Yeah
1: thank you David well, real, real, real pleasure real real pleasure thanks very much for listening to the Royal Court Theatre Playwrights Podcast if you'd like to listen to more make sure you subscribe at royalcourttheatre.com or iTunes to get the next episode you can purchase many of the plays discussed here via the bookshop come in at Sloan Square or on the website come to the theatre come and have a look at the plays come and have a look at the plays in the new season the Playwright's Podcast is brought to you by the Royal Court Theatre, presented by me Simon Stevens and produced by Anushka Warden and Emily Legg.